Hi, and welcome to the Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast. Every week, we will talk to the great, the good, and the legendary from the worlds of food, drink, marketing, and business to help give you the advice that will really help your brand boom. A huge thanks to our headline sponsors, the award-winning Engage Interactive. Engage Interactive have been helping hospitality businesses like yours prepare for a mobile and digital first world since 2007. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Today we're coming live and loud from Walthamstow East 17 and we're speaking to the incredible entrepreneur Grace Regan. Grace started a restaurant from her home called Spicebox and was given up every single night that she had in all of her social life to serve up the most amazing vegan Indian food to all of her neighbours and her friends. From there, Grace has started street food stalls, then going through to opening an actual restaurant. When you go on to eatspicebox.co.uk and also if you do the same on Instagram, you'll just be punched in the face with the sass and the great tone of voice and the superb imagery and the colorways and the burst of enthusiasm and energy that hits you with every click. And I'm sure you'll find that the food is exactly the same. Some real fun stuff on the site, for example, is the Spicebox Six Commandments. Be green, not mean. Empower, innovate, be open-minded, make an impact and stay spicy. So Grace is doing the best thing in the world where she's doing something she loves. She's having the best fun doing it and she's pleasing crowds all over East of London and beyond with the incredible brand and product that she's created. I really hope you enjoy this episode. It's the first time I've actually had the time to catch up properly with Grace. So I really hope that you enjoy our chat because I really, really, really did. So it gives me the most spicy pleasure ever to introduce a new friend today on the show, uh, the amazing entrepreneurial Grace Regan from Spicebox. Hi, Mark. It was quite funny, uh, just when we were setting up there, I just heard like some sort of carry-on film in the background of all this smashing and crashing and all this different stuff that was going on. So I was just hoping that water hadn't spilled on your laptop or something like that. <laughs> no, but there is cooking going on downstairs in the kitchen, so you might hear the odd sound of a blender. Well, that's all right. That's all right. That's real, that's real life at the moment. So it would be good, um, you know, just to sort of touch on the now now and and what's going on with you and then we'll we'll talk about happier things in terms of you know your journey and um you know the career that you've you've made for yourself and what you're doing and what you've learned and tips and all that stuff but what's what's kind of life like at the moment what's going on for you right now well I feel quite fortunate because my life is relatively normal at the moment um we're still open and trading so I'm going to work every day um obviously seeing my team so right now Life, I feel grateful to to be still running a, a trading business. Obviously, when I'm back at home, it's a bit different, but um, so far, so good. Excellent. No, that's that's great to hear. And I think it is just, you know, keeping busy is probably the best medicine for 
for anyone, you know, whether you're planning about the return or you're lucky enough to still be trading, you know, is a really, a really good thing. And how, how big are the team? So, um, well, at, at its biggest, the team is about 14 people. Um, yeah. But right now we've got a team of about 10 um, working in the curry house. Great. Exciting. Exciting. Well, let's start then talking about Spicebox itself. So if anyone doesn't know what it is and all these things, it'd be really good just to hear it from you, what it's all about and, you know, so people can get a bit of a feel for, for what you do. Sure. So I'm kind of in a, in a nutshell, Spicebox is a local curry house. We're based in Walthamstow in northeast London and uh, we serve kind of fresh modern spins on British curry house classics that happen to be vegan. Excellent. And then what's been your background that's sort of taken you here? You know, where did it all sort of kick off? So do you want, do you want the long the long story? Or the, or the yeah, short born on a Wednesday, <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah, go for it. We've got time. Great. So, so yeah, so I, so my background is that I, when I graduated from uni, um, I kind of fell into founding a media tech startup. Uh, so I got approached by a mutual friend who was looking for someone to start a business with. And um, he had this idea for like a short form audio news app and wanted someone with an interest in media and also audio content. And that was me. So I'd, I'd studied English at university. I had a student radio show. I wanted to be like a, a broadcaster. Um, and obviously I had a bit of experience editing as well. I, I was editor on a student magazine and I had absolutely no plans or job lined up. So I thought, why not? So jumped into that. About three years later, we'd employed a team of about 20 people, raised investment, um, and one thing led to another, and I was invited out to Silicon Valley to join a tech startup accelerator out there. So I moved to California at the age of 24, and um, in California, I became vegan. Um, I'd been trying to go vegan for a while back in London, but had found it incredibly hard and slightly depressing, so gave up. Um, but in California, there was kind of no excuse. It was the kind of start of the the vegan food, almost like revolution in California. And I got swept up in all that, found it super exciting, um, spent a lot of time eating out and trying the the hot new vegan restaurant that had opened, going to street food markets in, in San Francisco and L.A., and at the same time was coming, becoming kind of slowly disillusioned with the tech world, had fallen out of love with what I was doing, found Silicon Valley quite a challenging place um, in many regards, which we can go into if you, if you want. Oh, let's go. So, yeah, what, what was it that was, was challenging? Was it the, the chinos and the slick back hair or what was it? <laughs> I mean, that, <laughs> I didn't really make many friends out there. Um, I mean, it's just, I think, essentially... At its best, Silicon Valley is a place of innovation and, you know, amazing, intelligent, driven people trying to solve like serious problems in the world, which is great. And there are a lot mm. of companies doing that. Um, along with that, there's there's a lot of people kind of trying to ride that wave, raising ridiculous amounts of, of money for ideas that, quite frankly, I don't think are serving much purpose um, there's a lot of evil. there's a great phrase you know just when you're saying that there's a great phrase which is um you know is there a 
is there a gap in the market or a market in the gap? And <laughs> that happens an awful lot that when you hear, I've come up with this thing to solve this, and you're like, that ain't a problem. <laughs> I know as well yeah problems that no one knew existed yeah um so yeah and like I mean being on one of being on a Silicon Valley tech accelerator is kind of you know it's the most condensed concentrated form of all that um so yeah I slowly become became, became kind of a bit disillusioned and also you know began questioning what I was working on you know what what I originally was working on in the UK did have a really clear sense of kind of purpose and mission it was all about engaging young people with like important like current affairs in a way that was super accessible to them but but that wasn't essentially it wasn't scalable because we were building a company that was based on like human uh, journalists um, so it had to change quite a lot when I when I went to America and as a result, became something that I didn't think the world particularly needed. So, yeah, so I began to kind of question what I was doing. And then I think also moving to California, becoming so kind of ingrained in, in the food scene and also not being able to cook. Uh, cooking is something I've done all my life and something that I'm, you know, I've always been incredibly passionate about. And I really began to realize like how much I missed that and um, how much that meant to me. So I just began kind of thinking over what was next if, if I stopped what I was doing what kind of area would I want to go into and I'd also actually had the idea the kind of the beginnings of the idea for Spicebox three years prior to, to moving to California I'd always had this kind of idea of like a fresh modern spin on a British curry house so so I essentially decided to kind of stop pull the plug on what what I was doing and just go for it and and start Spicebox so I moved back to London and began cooking straight away testing it with friends and then a couple of weeks into that I decided to open my front door build a table that fit neatly in it and um, start an Indian takeaway from home and that was really the beginning the beginning of Spicebox. From Supersonic Inc this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. The Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast is also brought to you by BDO, the trusted accountancy and advisory firm. As the finance experts in hospitality, BDO have the experience and the insight to provide solid foundations for your business's future growth. BDO really are the go-to team to help your hospitality business succeed. If you're in need of a dedicated transactional team bolstered with corporate finance, audit and tax services, Talk to BDO, who've got the right expertise, knowledge and experience to drive your restaurant or bars business throughout their full life cycle. As thought leaders across the sector, BDO offers commercial and technical updates specifically tailored to restaurants and bars, including their annual hospitality reports. BDO also have a well-established network in the industry that spans across finance directors, suppliers and advisors and they are always willing to use this to their clients and their contacts' advantage. Get in touch today at bdo.co.uk to chat about how they can help take your hospitality business to the top and please say that I sent you. And just going back, you know, what was driving the the curry side of things was it travel before or was it yes you know heritage links or you know what what was going on there so my my great aunt is Indian by marriage 
Uh-huh. As a result of that, I grew up eating, you know, home-cooked Indian food. And also my mum would cook a lot of Indian food at home. And then also, you know, I travelled around India quite a lot with both my family and, and by myself. And so I'd always had this kind of deep ingrained passion for like Indian culture and cuisine. So that's kind of, that was one pillar to it. And then also alongside that, I feel like Indian food is such a perfect cuisine to introduce people to like plant-based food because regardless of whether you're, you know, an ardent meat eater or quite like used to eating vegetarian food, like the concept of a vegetarian or vegan curry isn't that scary to people. Yeah. Um, And also spices are like the best way to impart flavor on vegetables, in my opinion. So those two things like really came together. And then the the third pillar is really that like from a business point of view, it's a really big market and like relatively untapped, I think. Like there's a huge opportunity. I see it in in the vegan food space in the UK. Like it's, it's crazy to think that like there's no brand that really dominates like the Indian food market in the UK, even though it's one of the biggest um kind of you know spaces in 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 dining out in the UK yeah I mean it's the same in in quite a few areas you know with with Thai as well and and, and different things there isn't that just one overarching brand that you're like yeah that's that's the one and it's almost going back to the TV dinners back in the day when you got was it the Vesta curry and you got it in a box and you know they dominated you know they really well, the the thing that was in everyone's lap, you know, once a week or whatever. So yeah, I, there's there's not very many. And then you know, just thinking about you know the, getting the menu together and you know all that sort of stuff. You know, where were your influences coming from? You know, what helped you get to this perfect sort of first menu for your takeaway? So the influence has always been like it's basically it draws on you know the classic British curry house like the the curry houses that I ate in growing up kind of Friday night Indian takeaways so that's the kind of the foundation of of the menu so I knew that if you know most of our audience would have an idea of what they wanted to order when they got an Indian takeaway or went to a curry house so you know chicken tikka masala korma dansak etc they all had to be on there but then the kind of the recipes and the cooking styles were very much influenced by like my exposure to Indian home cooking from either my great aunt or my travels in India, where I'd often go and stay with like families or family friends and, and learn how to cook in, in their kitchens. So I always say it's like a real amalgamation of like British curry house classics, but also drawing inspiration from like fresh home cooked Indian food. And also, I think if you know London at all or if anyone listening you know knows London well there's so many amazing you know vegetarian and vegan Indian restaurants yeah you know there used to be a couple of really good ones behind Euston Station yeah 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 Um, they've been saved do you know about that what's that so Drummond Street was going to be it was all going to be knocked down um Uh but everyone kicked up a fuss and there was this big petition and now it's been saved as part of the reason they're going to keep it which is great news brilliant what were they called? There was a couple of really good ones. There's you know, you Ravi Shankar. Um, there's a like buffet, an amazing buffet one. I can't remember the name. It's the P- Puri or something. Yeah, yeah, Belpuri. Yeah. Um, house, something house. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just remember that because that used to be my my home station for getting up to Milton Keynes back in the day when I used right. to live up there, and just really always really enjoyed going there. You know, thought it was absolutely out of this world. And you're right, it's 
it's kind of a good gateway for people, you know, to get into, you know, vegetarian, vegan a lot more, yeah. um, you know, sort of passing through that sort of rite of passage, I suppose. So then you were trading out the out your house. What were the issues with that and, and what did you learn with that? <laughs> I mean, the issues were the fact that I had to stay in every single night of the week in the hope that I might right. get one or two um, takeaway or delivery orders. Uh, so that was, you know, it was pretty challenging. It was j- just me at that point doing everything. So I'd, I'd do probably two cooking days a week and do these big batch cooks. Um, I was still learning how to kind of cook at scale at that point. Like up until then, I'd just been a keen home cook. Um, and then, you know, marketing it, getting getting the word out. Those were kind of the, the early the early challenges. But then slowly, you know, word of mouth began to spread. My neighbours would come quite regularly. I had people that would come almost every night to pick up food. And then through that, we were lucky to get some really great pieces of, of press early on. And that really kind of helped propel me to the next stage, which was kind of getting into the London street food scene, I suppose. And was that luck or did you have contacts or how did that work? So the way, so do you remember um, Druid Street Market? Do you know? Yes. Yeah, so Druid, it was kind of when Druid Street Market was like the cool London food market um, and I was really determined I knew that that would be a really great place to start because I think that in terms of the people that go there and the, the kind of the platform it w- gave would have given us at the time so I really focused on that I thought right if I could get a stall at Druid Street Market that's a really good next step so I got in touch with the woman who ran it um, persistently I sent her multiple emails and then eventually I heard back from her and she said, can you bring some food for me to, to try? So I, I drove over some um, hot curry to, to her house. She tasted it. She liked it. So then she gave me a stool. But as is the case in, in most street food markets, if you're, you've got to start at the bottom and starting at the bottom means that you get given a stool in like the deep, the depths of the, the British winter uh, where right. there's no one around and it's like, disgustingly cold um so but but I knew that it was a good end so yeah I started at Druid Street Market in February once a week and then through that I met another trader who also traded with Curb and he said that Curb were looking for a a vegan street food trader Uh, and at this point like it was pre the kind of big surge in in popularity in, in veganism in London so there weren't that many around and so he put me in touch with Curb. And then I was in a really lucky position that actually Curb kind of invited me to, to trade with them, um, which was an amazing opportunity and one I took. And so, yeah, I started with Curb that May. And what's the tips for running a good stall? Because, you know, a lot of people maybe haven't done it before. Um, you know, you see it go horribly wrong on The Apprentice and these sort of things <laughs> when they're trying to sell whatever they're trying to sell. I mean, what's the sort of 101 I'm and the tips for, for running a good stall. I mean, just to caveat this, like the start of it was very much like a constant uh, apprentice episode. Like me starting with Curb, I had about two weeks to get a full stall together. I made all my signage by hand. I painted it. I had no commercial kitchen. And my first gig with Curb was to trade at Alchemy Festival, which is this like two week festival at South Bank. Um, yeah. And even for like experienced street food traders like it's quite a big undertaking I had absolutely no idea what I was getting myself in for so I'd turn up every day and I had two electric pans and I'd cook all the curry for the day in these two electric pans from like 
5.30 a.m. in the morning till about 9.30 when we'd open. Um, so that was like an absolute nightmare. And then slowly I, I kind of learned the best thing about street food is it's such a supportive community. So mm. all the traders who'd been trading for a while would, would give me tips. And then by the end of alchemy, I knew way more than than when I than I did when I started. Um, but essentially, like street food is about volume. So you've got to be able to knock out as much food in a short period of time as possible, because obviously your trading windows are quite small. It's essentially lunchtime. Um, and obviously that applies, especially at festivals where you're paying quite a lot of money to be there and you've got to really leverage the busy times. So it's all about operations and efficiency um, and having like a really strong team. It's a really, really hard um, like lifestyle and, you know, form of work and hospitality. And as a result, it's quite hard to find really good team members. So when you do find them, you've got to do everything you can to keep them um, on board because obviously they've got a lot of options to, to move around and a lot of people do. And what about just, you know, to keep you sane as well, right? If you're there peeing it down on a wet Wednesday, cold, can be hot, you know, whatever it is, you know, did you have like a wee radio going or <laughs> yeah, what, what, music. For mental health, you know, and, and just keeping you okay throughout the day as well yeah I like going back to just it's the community of other traders like everyone's going through the same thing if you're in a quiet wet cold market everyone's kind of you know quietly freaking out so just just talking to to other traders and and sharing with them is is definitely the best way to get through that and then in terms of like you know the wider picture like again it's 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 that bond you have with your team like when you're work the summer is just relentless it's festival after festival every weekend you've got no time to rest no time to sleep as soon as you come back to the festival you've got to pack and get ready for the next one um and then so yeah that's what's getting you through is is pure adrenaline and also like the the spirit of the team that you're working with and also the guests like the people that you're serving at festivals like we we'd have people you know coming to seek us out at festivals they'd come back multiple times at different festivals that they were at over the summer and like you know, say that it's the best food they've ever eaten at a festival, etc. And that's that kind of feedback really keeps you going. I I, I think it's right, and do you know what? I I miss it, right? I, I worked in record shops and all that stuff when I was younger, and um, and my wife for a little time, very small time, just had a wee hobby of of selling cupcakes and this and that, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And I think you get that real buzz of energy from the people that you're speaking to. You know, if they're good customers and they're giving you some energy back, you know, I think that can absolutely make your day as well. Oh, you yeah, know? absolutely. And that's all you've got really at the beginning, in the early days. It's those tiny little interactions with people that, like, make you get up the next day and carry on. And, you know, it sounds bleak, but, like, there was a lot yeah. in the in the first year, like, I was just going day to day, like, trying to kind of sum up the the energy to, to keep going because you've got no idea at that point like if it's going to work out or not yeah it's scary and then from there what were the next steps to sort of being where you are now what what happened there so I I kind of I street food I I almost fell into um so it was just that kind of chance meeting at Drew Street Market that that got me into curb and I and I knew from the offset, especially kind of coming from Silicon Valley, that like it was really important to have quite a kind of big vision and, and go big from the beginning. So while I was doing street food, I started putting together a business plan and really started thinking about like, okay, what would Spice Box look like at scale? 
And after that was ready, then I actively started trying to, to raise money in order to get us to the point where we're at today. So yeah, over the, the course of a of it took me about a year and a half, but I eventually raised investment and that investment um got us to to the point we are today to opening our, our first curry house. Hi, I'm Alex from Engage, and thanks for tuning in to the Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Each week, we'll be bringing you a great tip to supercharge your own digital marketing. And this week's comes from Kate, our Senior Marketing Manager, who shares her insights in how to find your email subscribers on social media. If you have an email marketing database, don't miss out on the opportunity to also touch base with these customers on social. You can upload your email list to Facebook as a custom audience, which Facebook will then match with their user data to create an audience you can target with ads. And that's not all. You can also create lookalike audiences based on your email list to reach new people who share demographics or interests with your existing subscribers. This is a great way to build larger, relevant audiences, even if your actual email database is quite small. And if you have several email lists, for example, product updates, inspiration and offers, you can target each list with tailored content that's relevant to the stage they're at in the buying journey. As email subscribers tend to be among the most engaged customers, brands tend to see cheaper costs and higher conversion rates with these audiences. If you need help with your own digital marketing strategy, then head over to engageinteractive.co.uk forward slash podcast, where you can see how we've helped some of the UK's most ambitious and successful hospitality brands with theirs. Cheers and enjoy the rest of the episode. I mean, that's just such a seismic change, right? So from house takeaway <laughs> with your your pasting table and all that and then going on to you know doing a sort of you know uh what would you say um east enders market <laughs> kind of thing <laughs> and doing that with your your uh, fingerless gloves and all that and then you know going into this sort of amazing you know curry house state etc so you know what were the learnings there and, and what changed and you know, what plans did you have to put in place to, to completely revolutionise the, the operations? So like I said, so the original, the kind of, the kernel of my idea was always around like a fresh modern spin on a British curry house. So that was the starting point. And then having come from Silicon Valley and like the landscape in London at that time was all around food tech, like it was the thing. And I knew that to raise investment um at that point in London in food, it was going to have to be like a food tech company. And dark kitchens were, were just coming. Like It was right at the beginning of Deliveroo as well in, in London. So I so so the idea evolved around kind of this delivery only dark kitchen type, type model. And so that was kind of the initial formulation of my plan and like me going to talk to investors. But then over the course of that kind of process, I eventually came 360 back to the original idea and and realized that I was just basically trying to like whack tech onto my idea in order to raise money, which was the whole reason why I'd like left Silicon Valley in the first place and got kind of disillusioned with that. So, so that was quite an interesting process. And like one that I wouldn't, I think I needed to go through the process of writing the business plan, pitching to investors and really trying to kind of think through the viability of my idea in my head. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but um, I learned a lot through it. And then, and you know, luckily, then you know, met the right investors. Um, we clicked, and um, eventually got to the point where yeah, the deal was done. 
So then looking at having the minimal 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 viable product, um, you know, trying to figure out how much people will pay for your product, not leaving money on the table and, and not making it too punchy, how you're gonna scale, you know, all these thoughts, yeah. you know. What did you go through to apply apply all that thinking as well? Because you're I don't mean you're lucky, you've worked really hard for it, but so many people that start businesses don't have that knowledge in the bank, you know, so it's such an advantage to have that discipline yeah. as you approach the business. Yeah, no, yeah. That, it, it, was, it was super handy and yeah, and luckily it was so freshly ingrained in my head having just come back from, from Silicon Valley. Um, and it gave, it gave that whole first year, like a really kind of much needed structure. Um, so if we talk about kind of minimal viable product, that was essentially like, what did my menu look like initially? What was kind of, how would we define like our food and do people like it essentially? And, and that was like really early days. That was me kind of developing the first few recipes in my kitchen and just giving them to people for, to, for free to, to try and give feedback on. And then I suppose the street food phase was around, like okay are people actually going to part with their cash for this food and you know that that learning process took at least like a year if not two years of real kind of small incremental tweaks to not only the food and what was on our menu but also how we kind of communicated the brand to the crowd and street food is such a particular uh type like environment to do that in but it's also it's so amazing because you get such an initial feedback from people um, so that was such a, a good learning process and a really great environment for me to to test test all that. And then obviously going the whole process of writing the business plan, speaking to investors, that was all around like me thinking about how I'd actually scale this and turn into into a profitable business that people would want to invest their money in. And then thinking about it's a great name, by the way. Okay. So from a brand and marketing point of view and, and where I usually live my life, you know, yeah. how do you go about that? You know, because it's one of those names where you think, gosh, surely someone's trademarked that or yeah. got it, or how do I get the Instagram handles or, you know, so what did you go through to, to, to make sure you, had, you know, had the brand protection that you could go forward with such a strong name? So, so, so quite frankly, initially, I didn't really think about any of that. I, it took I remember the process of um, coming up with the name. I was still in Silicon Valley and I just like, it took me about two weeks of just every day writing lists of like possible names. Um, and then Spice Watch seems so obvious, but it came to me on like the last day of the second week. Um, so, so, so that was kind of the name sorted brand. I always, A, had a real interest in. And and B new was super important for a food brand um, in London. I think like it's like it's half brand, half product um, in this this marketplace. And the process of kind of evolving the brand and creating the brand again was quite relatively organic because at the beginning I had no choice but to like use my very limited design in design skills. So I kept it super simple to begin with, but strong and consistent. And then once we'd raised that initial investment, I I decided to like you know invest a decent amount in creating like quite a strong brand and therefore like concept f- for us to grow with. And, you know, through that, we, we managed to trademark the name, which is great. And actually in, in the process right now of just like slightly refining and tweaking the brand, because now we know so much more about like what we want to be at scale and, and who our target market are um, 
that you know naturally the brand has to evolve with that yeah i mean i think i'm I'm super interested as well just in like the the fonts that you've used and the colorways and you know veg with the edge and all that stuff and i think you know that's so exciting to see a brand with personality because there's you know a lot of restaurants there's a style and it's a bit pool-faced and you know and all the rest of it and you know you're sort of almost giving off these sort of black exploitation sort of vibes from the 70s you know with this kind of like (laughs) logo and you know it's great to see you know and I just like seeing people having fun and and being distinctively different and I think you've done that which which is just brilliant you know and you know and what you know translating through that brand personality the brand values and all that stuff you know how are you handling that on things like social you know are you got a team do you do it have you got an agency you know what What's going on there to to keep pushing out content? Um, so so just to your first point, like in terms of yeah, the brand with with character, that's definitely something that I was super keen to do because I think like especially I think maybe we're moving away from it now, but there was a stage where you know where everyone was like building Squarespace websites and the whole aesthetic around like food, especially in like the vegan plant based food space, was like super clean and white and like these kind of like gray fonts and like marble backgrounds and like that's what you have to be like a cool food brand in London you had to kind of adhere to that aesthetic and I just wanted to go like the complete opposite of that and like really really stand out and yeah like psychedelic 60s 70s art was definitely a a key inspiration um, for that and also I think really kind of spoke our food is like super punchy in flavor it's really colorful and I really wanted the brand to kind of reflect that and in terms of kind of, you know, marketing, brand message, et cetera, like social media is super important. Uh, it's how, you know, I built the brand through through Instagram, essentially, um, f- from the street food days. Um, Instagram and street food kind of, you know, they, they grew up together almost. Um, so, and right now, like we have a social media manager who works part-time and, and helps us run our, our social media accounts. But it's still very much like, the 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 direction of that and the voice of the brand and like what we stand for is very much still like driven by me it's great it's just it's just really good to see and for the size that you are you know without being patronizing or weird or anything <laughs> yeah. I mean the following's big right and the engagement's yeah. big which is is great and and it's just a it, what's always nice is just going to someone's Instagram grid just to see what's going on and and you know it's an absolute punch in the face um <laughs> with colours as, as you go down it and it's just it's just a lovely thing to see and there's not enough people putting enough effort into that so you know it's it, it's great it's really smashing um so it's, it's a very very good and then you know thinking about um your people as well and how you engage with them so you know how do you keep them you know sort of on message living the brand loving the brand you know what's life as a an owner like so so in regards to our team yeah. my guest um so yeah I mean the team we have we're lucky we've got such a great team in Walthamstow um and it's been you know it's been a real learning curve and journey getting to the point you know from opening the curry house and employing a full-time bricks and mortar permanent site team of staff until like that was a real learning curve for me um but right, but but now we're in a great place. And I think like it's just really important to have people essentially what it comes down to, I think, is if they really love your food, 
that's a great starting point. So if people really believe that like what they're serving to our guests is delicious, then that's just going to come across straight away. And then on top of that, you've got like creating a great environment for people to work and show, you know, constantly communicate to to your team that they're really valued um, within your business. And that's something that we try to do. And hopefully we're doing well so far. I mean, to in terms of like living the brand, two of our team members have Stay Spicy tattooed on them and I do too so I think like we're in a pretty good place if if we're if that's where we're at right now that's brilliant that's really good and then you know for you to get to where you got to you know what did you do as an entrepreneur you know in terms of you know investment and sacrifices you had to make and you know as you look back I'm I'm thinking about Gary V stuff you know Gary Vaynerchuk and yeah. you know he talked about you know stay with a friend sleep on a mattress in their front room you know give, give up everything I mean did it get as bleak as that or you know how, how did how did that work to get you through well the best thing about like our industry and again another reason why it was such a welcome break from Silicon Valley is that like you can start to generate cash pretty immediately so actually mm-hmm. coming from a, a tech background where you know, we'd, we'd raised money, but we weren't making, I mean, we were pre-revenue. We hadn't made a single penny of revenue. Um, so coming back to London and, you know, making something in my home kitchen, I mean, I was really lucky I had somewhere to live and a roof over my head. And that was kind of all I needed at that point. Cause I just, it would just be me. I'd cook and then I'd open my door and I'd sell the food at a profit margin. So, so in the actually in the first year my overheads were really quite low and I was generating enough revenue to survive I think the hardest time came in that kind of middle ground where I had to start thinking about employing staff I had to pay for a commercial kitchen to rent um it was before I'd raised investment and that was really like week by week I'd be like can I afford to pay my kitchen rent this week kind of thing um Mm -hmm. can I afford to keep keep my staff paid but you just you've got to get overthinking it and becoming kind of fearful about like the next week is you've just got to take each day as it comes and just put your head down and get on with it. And then obviously things started to get easier once we'd raised that investment. But there were yeah there was it was tricky. It was it was pretty tricky in in the middle time and I I wasn't being paid much at all. But I suppose you've got food, which is one of the most important things. Have plenty of food to eat. From Supersonic Inc. This is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Forth. Forth is the leading hospitality workforce, inventory and analytics provider. Forth effectively manages your employee's journey using its integrated workforce management system. Forth also improves your organisational efficiency by streamlining and managing all of your purchasing and inventory. And Forth Analytics gives you instant insight to make better business decisions all from your phone, tablet or your computer. Transform your hospitality business today. Go to forth.com now. You know, the really pleasing thing, and there's so many people have Sort of spoke to on the podcast over the, the last while and to speak to someone that's been there done it like the full cycle is quite lovely and the the guy that's sticking in my head's um uh, simon over at hawks cider okay and uh and, and it was just the the fact that you know you ran the entire business whereas so many people that run businesses in hospitality 
have been part of a machine or they've always been management or do you know what I mean? So it's so great that you've got this 360, what it was like at the beginning, which then will give you such a good view on what needs to happen next, etc. So, yeah. you know, and, it, and I think there's always that thing about you'll never ask your teams to do something that you haven't done. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's absolutely the case for you, I would imagine. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that's really healthy to see. And then what about the menu and stuff then? So what's favourites and, and all that? You know, what what do you love that you're serving? So, our, our, I mean, our favourite dishes, I mean, what would you what would you think were the two most popular dishes on, on our menu, us being a curry house? <laughs> um, what do you order on a, on a curry night? Well, my... my, my favourite for a curry is a, a pathia. Okay, that's always that's left field. Yep, yep. I think it's because I've, like, I'm always a bit sweet and soury anyway if I go Chinese, so it's sort of, I think I saw it once described as like a spicy sweet and sour version that's an Indian sort of thing, so yeah. I've just stuck to it from there, but um, depending on the curry house depends on how, um, yeah, just burn your mouth off bad it is you know but um it just depends but yeah so I would I would I would be in that and then um I mean it's not it's not vegan right enough but um like a you know a sagaloo and, and things like that I'm I'm quite and then a paneer as yeah. well I'm really into it. but um so yeah, yeah our, our most popular dishes by a mile are korma and tikka masala and both of those that we do with like a soy-based chicken um, mm-hmm. We also we do we do like all the classics. We do onion bhaji, sagaloo, Bombay potatoes, um, and our menu is like especially compared to most curry houses, it's quite small. So if you're a table of kind of four or five people, you could almost get if you're really hungry, you could get through most of the menu. Um, but yeah, I mean tikka masala and korma, yeah, by far um, are the best sellers. My personal favorite is our chana masala, which is probably one of our most yeah. simple dishes. But it's just, it's so good. It's its deceptively um, simple, but like so many layers of flavours and really nice depth to it and kind of buttery soft chickpeas. I, I love it. Well, do you know what's really interesting? Um, Mrs. Mac, uh, Pamela, she's just texted me from our isolation bedroom. Yeah. And she said, I really fancy a curry for tea. And she's like, oh. I've, she's almost given me a sort of ready, steady cook challenge. But she said, We've got a load of tomatoes that need using, and we've got a bunch of chickpeas. So oh you God, might have got an absolute jackpot there. <laughs> Shameless plug here, then. So we have a we've got a YouTube channel called Spice Box TV, and on there is a video recipe of me cooking chana masala, and it the, all it needs is onion, tin tomatoes, and chickpeas. I'm in. Like, I've got all that. So, so I can do that. I can do that. Done, and you can cook along with me your chana masala. That would be brilliant. I'm going to do that. That like she'll be so happy as well. Like yeah, that that sounds amazing. Bless her, through through in the back room there. But um, yeah. So and then drinks. You know, how have you done with you know drinks matching and and all that stuff? You know, what, who did you look to for that, or did you have experience, or how did that come about? So no, not not much experience um, on the drink side of things. I mean, I'm I'm lucky. I, I now run the business with our CEO, Alpesh, who's got a lot of experience in hospitality and, um, you know, really kind of, he came on board basically just before I opened the, the curry house. So bought a load of like, you know, much needed hospitality knowledge t- to the table. Um, but in terms of drinks, 
at, at the current curry house, like it's such a small place space that we don't really have room for a full bar. And also it being, I don't know if it's because it's like a, in a residential area or that because we're vegan, maybe a bit of both, but drink sales for us aren't, they're not huge. So we've, we've just kept the drinks menu really quite simple. So we offer what we call a posh wine and a house wine. So we've got a posh red, a posh white, a house red and a house white. And then Cobra, a King Cobra, obviously, because every curry night needs a King Cobra. Yes. And we do our own, we do our own branded um, I, IPL, it's called, so an India Pale Lager. And we make that in partnership with a local brewery in Walthamstow. And oh, that's then we do Mango Lassi and a Mango Lashi, which is a Lassi with rum. <laughs> and a masala chai and a chai with with rum and that's pretty much the extent of our, our drinks list so you know it's enough but i think that as we grow and if we get bigger sites then we would look out look to build out the drinks offering a bit more yeah yeah that sounds great and then have you got like a an indian community of operators so i'm thinking you know dishum um, bundle bust, you know, these types of people, you know, have you, you know, your support system with each other there or does that not, is it more of a vegan support system or a bit of both? Well, I mean, right now, yeah, my network is predominantly based in like the vegan food space in London and also street food because that's where I kind mm. of, you know, grew up. But um, I met the Bundle Bus guys at an award ceremony at the end of last year. They were great. I'd, I'd, I'd love to kind of catch up with them. I think what they're doing is amazing. Uh, yeah, I, I get the same, same to be said for for Mowgli and Dishoom. I'd, I'd love to yeah. be with the guys that, that, that run that. Um, I think it's interesting because also I don't, I feel like we sit in quite a different space from those brands. Um, they're kind of, you know, more kind of central urban locations more kind of a, a up like upscale like dining occasion and we're like very much like unashamedly a local curry house like and that's what we'll always be so um so I think yeah there's a lot of exciting things going on in this space um, but it's also cool to feel like you know I'm not in direct competition with with those brands but yeah they're doing amazing things and then, so I'm just looking at time, and I, I know I'll need to let you go and, and prep for your next call soon. Um, but there's a couple of other things. Um, I was just thinking about, um, you know, this thing that we do called Mark Out of Ten. So at the at the end, what we talk about is, uh, you know, best city to eat and best restaurant, things like that. So just kind of quick fire. Yeah. So you're well-traveled and well-schooled. Um, what would you say the best city to eat in for you is? It's got to be San Fran or LA. I'd go yeah. LA. For me, LA. And just because of the options, is it the the scene, the, you know, what's going it's, on there? What I think just what it comes down to in California is just like the quality of fresh produce in California is just, it's like nothing I've ever experienced before. Just like the fruit that you pick up in a farmer's market just tastes like, you know, you think of like a plum that you eat here and then just times that flavor explosion by 10. And that's like what it would taste like in California. So I think just yeah. down to the quality of produce. And then obviously like in terms of the, the plant-based like food scene and exciting chefs doing cool things with vegetables, like California is where, where it's at. Um, but obviously, you know, and then pretty much like any city in India as well is, is got to be up there. Yeah, well, I mean, just that's the thing, I, you know, I, I think trying to take that authentic Indian cuisine and bring it here, you know, 
because so so much of the time it's it's been sort of anglified or yeah Britified or whatever you would say. But um, yeah, I mean, being able to do that in that regional uh, sort of take on things and, and being that gateway into discovery, I think I think it's really exciting. Yeah. And what about best restaurant? What's your absolute favourite in terms of restaurants around the world? Um. So favourite restaurant? I'm gonna have to stay in London for this one. It's got to be Morrow. Where's that? So Exmouth Market. Do you know Exmouth Market? Uh-huh. Um, so Morrow has been like on Exmouth Market, I think like over 20 years. And it's just, uh-huh. it does the most amazing kind of, I mean, it's like Moorish cu- cuisine. So South Mediterranean meets kind of Middle Eastern and North African. And they do this mixed veg meze plate, which is like entirely kind of seasonal. And it's all veg cooked on like a charcoal grill served with amazing flatbreads and dips. That's my death row meal for sure. It's, Ooh, it's so good. good. Well, you've covered best dishes well, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. um, and then what about drinks? You know, what's your, your yeah. go-to drink? Always tequila. Is it? So, yeah, margarita. What, in short or long? Oh, right, okay. And in, in, in things? Love. And then um, I've, I started about a couple of years ago, I started just drinking um, tequila, lime and soda. It's, it's so good. Oh. Yeah. Well, as I get through my drinks cabinet over the next few weeks, um, I might I might have a wee go at that. But there was one night, um, my friend Kelly came round. It was a nice sort of balmy summer's night, and she brought um, drinking tequila, like you know, sort of as in kind of long. You can have it kind of long. Yeah. So we had that, um, but we had it as shots. I think then, but but we had it with uh, orange and cinnamon. Nice. Yeah. I'd never had that before and yeah I mean it was kind of weird it was in the summer it was Christmassy but um you know but it was very very nice I could recommend that I can imagine sure. that because it's got it's got the most amazing yeah smoky it's got this kind of smokiness to it to be there especially the yeah. good stuff yeah well that's that's the difference is you know <laughs> all, all I'm remembering as a frame of reference is you know being in Spain so 16, 17, yeah and just the room spinning you know that horrible feeling <laughs> so yeah not so good and then what about the future for you? What's what's next? What's happening? So I so up until the start of um the virus, um mm-hmm. we were close to kind of signing on a second curry house. So that yeah. was the plan for this year to, to open the second curry house. Um that's obviously been put on hold right now. And I mean we continue to trade. We're doing takeaway and delivery, and it's all going so far so good. So, so key focus right now is is keeping the business going. Um, but also, I mean, we've been working a lot on our video content recently. So we we've just started to release the second season of, of Spice Sports TV, which I alluded to earlier. And yep. the the idea behind that is like helping people cook kind of quick and easy plant based food at home, uh, and using spices and like taking inspiration from from Indian cuisine to like help people create delicious, tasty uh, vegan food at home. And then, you know, we're slowly starting to think about a, a retail range for Spicebox and what that would look like. Um, and yeah, a few other exciting projects in the pipeline, one of which I can't talk about yet. But um, definitely, if you follow us on, on social media, we're going to keep that updated. Excellent. Excellent. I, mean, I think also, you know, just I think that's a great thought about the retail range and also being able to punch, you know, much heavier than, than you are, you know, above your weight. And I yeah. think... Um, you know, I even saw it years ago with Oaxaca when they were starting out and the fact that 
they were in the double page spread of the Boots Christmas magazine with Nando's and the like when they had a handful of restaurants. You just thought, oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. And I think, you know, just the importance of brands, you know, getting onto Amazon and, you know, all that stuff, even if it is just a, a couple of units just to be there. Um, yeah, and I think... I think um, this situation has shown that better than ever. I mean, what Leon is doing is, is so interesting. Um, yeah. Their retail stuff. Yeah, no, it's it's been brilliant. And I think it's just that kind of loss leader mentality, but it's just if you can get a little bit of you where the where the eyeballs are. I had someone on the podcast a wee while ago and he was kind of up on Amazon and this, and he was saying 52% of all product searches start on Amazon, not Google. Yeah. So, you know, it's a bit like, whoa, you know, when you start thinking that way, it's like, you know, get something up there, you know, no matter what it is. If it's a tea towel, it really doesn't matter. But yeah. just getting your brand up there in some ways is, is brilliant. It's, br- it's really good. So, well, I think I'll let you go and you can get back to your life and uh, all these other amazing interviews that you're doing. I'm just seeing you everywhere at the moment. So I'm so glad and grateful that you, you gave the time up to, to have a wee chat. And um, yeah, it's just great. And you know, I'm really hoping we can we can catch up properly in real life at some point. But no, you're, you're doing a great thing and you know, you're doing it well, which is even better to see. And you know, you're actually doing it from the heart, not a spreadsheet, which is, you know, an absolute bonus. Um, a lot of people do it the other way around. So yeah, just wishing you really well and, and long may it continue and can't wait to see what you do next. Great. Thanks, Mark. Thank you so much. So there you have it. A really, really spicy chat with Grace Regan of Spicebox. Thanks so much to Grace for taking the time to be on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks to you for listening. Please share with one friend or colleague and please do like, subscribe, share, rate and review if you can. Thanks to our headline sponsors Engage. Visit engageinteractive.co.uk for all your digital and social media needs. Thanks also to our premium partner BDO. Visit bdo.co.uk for all of your business, financial questions and queries. Thanks to Gaz and Gabby for putting the podcast together every single week. It really, really is appreciated. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off. Bless you. Thanks for listening. I hope that you got as much from this episode as I did. And I really hope that this has given you enough value and inspiration to make your brand boom. Boom.